Every now and then, Hollywood gives us a bunch of different movies that have a whole lot accidentally in common. In the last year or so, we've seen that play out with a surprisingly large number of films dealing with artificial intelligence, or broken artificial intelligence. Mm. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, technology, and pop culture. Thanks for joining us today. Well, if you've been paying attention recently, you might have noticed that Hollywood has released a number of stories, including several aimed at kids, that deal with AI, that's artificial intelligence, in some way. I'm talking about Mitchells vs. the Machines, Ron's Gone Wrong, Free Guy, and Finch, among probably others. So today we're going to explore why AI movies are trending now as well as some of the spiritual ideas we might pull out of them as we talk about these movies with our families. And on our second segment, we'll swap sci-fi AI for fantasy. Specifically, Emily Clark is going to tell us all about the hotly anticipated new drama, The Wheel of Time, on Amazon Prime. I sound a little bit like Dr. Seuss there, but that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about. Well, joining me for our conversation today are Bob Hoos, Paul Ac, and Emily Clark, Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here today. Hello. Yo. Yo. I, I can feel the enthusiasm. <laughs> Let me try that again. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here today. Hey, Adam. <laughs> Great to be here. Uh, <laughs> right? Right? I know, right? So we're going to be talking about AI today. And back in the day, we probably would have just called them robots. So that brings up a pretty big question. Who is your favorite sci-fi robot and why? So this is a tricky question. Yeah. Right. For, for a number of reasons. Because we have to define what a robot is. Well, for that's exactly oh right. Gosh. Because when I think about AI, I immediately think of HAL 9000 from uh, 2001 yeah. and, and and Space not, Odyssey. And not Robocop or something like that. Right, exactly. You know? So is yep. HAL 9000, is he a robot? Open the pod bay doors, Paul. There you go. I'm sorry. That's my pick. I can't do that, John. Okay. Oh, I can't you do can? that? No, no, you can't. I'm okay. just quoting the movie. Oh, okay. So why? Because HAL 9000 is not a very nice robot. He is not a very nice robot. He is a, a killer robot, as a matter of fact. But, true story. But he brings with him, he's actually one of the more fully fleshed out for a robot. Oh, oh. Huh? even though he had no flesh. Paul exactly. is a robot. That's what he's really telling us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you know, I find this one difficult because... You know, I, there are some robots that I really liked, some robots that were really cool. Like, for example, I th the first thing that came to mind for me was was Gort from The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, the, 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 about the 1950s movie, yeah. because he was so cool. I mean, that was a cool robot. That but, was a cool robot. But that's not the one I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose the I Iron... I see what you're doing yeah, here. So I can get a couple in here. The, <laughs> my, my favorite would be The Iron Giant. Ah, that's a good one. And why? Uh, it, well, it, it not only is it a gigantic cool robot but also the, I just loved the movie I, there was something uh, the movie's theme of self-sacrifice and friendship I just I just found it to be a very moving cool movie okay all right Emily so I actually have two robots that are tied for first place can I say them both I'm gonna say both. I did so. the first one <laughs> the first one is Wally oh of course Wally yeah because he's just so darn cute oh, and man. I'm sorry, and he just, he has a heart of gold, and even though he doesn't have a heart, and he's just so sweet, and he has all these emotions, and he evokes all these emotions in people, and then my second, for basically the exact same reason, is R2-D2. 
Well, I tend towards robots that have identity issues. So my two are Deckard from Blade Runner, and I will also Ooh. immediately throw in the plugged-in warning that Blade Runner has a lot of content. And the interesting thing about Blade Runner is, is Deckard a replicant or isn't he? And the answer depends on which version of the movie you watch. So I'll just spoil that because there's like five different ones. And he's played by Harrison Ford, of course. But, it, you know, Philip K. Dick, the story that Blade Runner was based on, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? He plays with this identity issue constantly. And, yeah, Blade Runner's got some problems, but interesting movie. But my real pick is Vision from the <laughs> Avengers. See, I knew surprise, you were going to pick Vision. I know. I knew it. I know. See, I, I just, I've always identified with the android who felt that he wanted to be human but didn't quite get there. And maybe that says something about me and we can have a psychoanalysis session on a, a different podcast. But uh, so, so this icebreaker. He's a synthesoid. This icebreaker was really. What are your two favorite robots? Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Do I get yeah. a second yeah. one? I would really like a second What's one. What's your second one, Paul? It would be the machine creature in Metropolis. Oh, old, yeah, yeah. Old nice. silent movie. I nice. don't know why both of my robots are so are so creepy, but there it is. <laughs> All right. You know, that was a great question, but we're now going to segue into our main <laughs> into our, conversation. Something we're going to really talk about. We talk a lot about movies that plugged in, and Paul and I were talking the other day uh, and I have to say, just as an aside, that this is the one part of the job that is the part of the job that you think would be awesome, which is to come to work and talk about movies. And nobody can tell you not to talk about movies <laughs> because it's your job. Yeah. And Paul made this observation that there have been a ton of films recently that have really dived into this subject of artificial intelligence and its potential problems. So we are going to extend the conversation. And I want to start by just giving a brief thumbnail sketch of each of these movies. And actually, I want you guys to do that. So, okay. Emily, tell us very briefly, what is The Mitchells versus The Machines about? It's about a family that grows on a cross-country trip to take their daughter to college and along the way these robots that a mega social media corporation has created override their programming and start taking over the world so it's a technological apocalypse yes it is it is a technological apocalypse um and it's all about how this family is not normal at all but it's their not normalness that actually helps them to evade the robots because they don't behave. Saves the world. They don't behave like regular humans, so the robots can't predict what they're going to do. Okay. Paul, what's happening with, is it free guy or free guy? Like, are we emancipating him or is he somebody we get for no money? <laughs> he is he is being emancipated, but okay. free guy has many many meanings actually, and uh, and it is also a technological apocalypse, but only in a virtual real world essentially. Okay. Um, it most so of the action meta. takes place. It's exactly. meta. It's meta. It takes place in this very sprawling virtual world. This game, sort of like Grand Theft Auto or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and, but some of the characters within the game are 
coming alive. Well, actually, just one. Um, Ryan Reynolds, the his character guy, guy, uh, he is slowly developing sentience, and he uh, is sort of developing, writing his own programming, if you will. And so it is sort of his fight to preserve both his his ability to find the girl of his dreams and maybe even save his world. Well, mm-hmm. there's lots to talk about there, so we'll we'll circle back, as they say, Bob. Yep. Ron's Gone Wrong. Okay. The, Ron's Gone Wrong is, uh, again, it deals with a social media megacorp that releases these little personalized robots that are supposed to be your best friend. This young kid named Barney gets one, but it's a malfunctioning robot. And so it sort of throws everything off balance for him and eventually for everybody else because of the things that this particular robot gets into and uh, and the film just sort of exposes that that friendly megacorp social media company isn't quite as friendly <laughs> as we think okay so there's some <laughs> connecting themes that we can come back to and and finch is a recent movie on apple tv plus that stars tom hanks in yet another very tom hanks character <laughs> uh it is a post-apocalyptic world in which radiation has killed almost everybody except Tom Hanks, of course. You know, just as an aside, no matter what happens in the apocalypse, you can be certain that Tom Hanks will be okay, at least briefly, on the other side. And he's dying. He has a dog. He loves his dog. And he creates a robot to take care of the dog after he dies. I mean, so Paul, sweet. you reviewed this one, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the podcast. It's... It's like the most Tom Hanks story. <laughs> if I were gonna, if I were gonna brainstorm the ultimate Tom Hanks movie, it feels like this one would be it. Okay, so these are the movies that are sort of in play, and now I want to talk about the bigger themes that connect them. First of all, why is Hollywood producing so many movies that have to do with AI right now? What do you think? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because. Thanks, Bob. I think you're welcome. I we have this impression that they're creating more and more of these movies, but the fact is we've had movies like this forever. Okay. I mean, Paul mentioned Metropolis. Paul's uh, arguing with you, I think. Oh, you don't think I'm right? I don't think you're right. But go ahead with your but point. The, but <laughs> see, Metropolis. You mentioned that one, the mm-hmm. Fritz Lang movie. Fritz Lang. That, that was like 1927. Yeah. When that first came out, so we've had movies that are dealing with artificial intelligence and robots and how they impact and change our world. Now, way back then, it was in the fear category, you know, because everybody was afraid with the Industrial Revolution. They were thinking about how robots were going to steal away everybody's job. And it turns out they were right. Well, yes, but (laughs) but that was the big thing. Except for podcasting. They're not going to steal our job. Not at all. (laughs) And, And movies of that time were all that sort of scare factor feeling. But we've had a lot of movies throughout the years. I mentioned Iron Giant and mm-hmm. RoboCop and all. And I see, I, I still sort of think RoboCop, even though he's part human, sort of falls in that robot territory. And so so I think we've had a lot of movies uh, that are always dealing with our fascination with uh, robots. Okay, I, And I think that's absolutely true. But I think we are seeing a lot more of them now. And I think it's because the technology 
is bringing that closer and closer to some sort of reality. Um, it is True. a hope, a dream, a concern, a fear of ours that we always are thinking about now in ways that we never have. I mean, Siri and Alexa listen in on our conversation and chime in if they think we need some help. We all have had the experience where all of a sudden we were looking at Facebook and we're seeing some targeted ads on something we might have just talked with a friend about. You know, we, we know that the machines around us are getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And we all, I think, understand that it can be a really good thing or not so much. Okay. Paul, you had mentioned that these sorts of stories raise all sorts of questions spiritually. Um, and I'm curious what you were thinking about in terms of what are some of the spiritual implications for stories that want to project kind of humanity and human emotions into something that's not not human? Yeah, and it's a fascinating question for me personally, and it's something that that Blade Runner has dealt with. It's something that that two thousand one has dealt with. You can make the case for Iron Giant as well. You know, a lot of these stories are really grappling with what it means to live. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to feel? You know, we all understand that these things can think really well, quote unquote, think. But when does it step into a place where they can think for themselves? And what does that mean? I mean, what are what are what are the ramifications for how we think about the soul? Yeah. When we talk about these sentient creatures that mm -hmm. are man made. What does that mean for the programming that we have in ourselves and and the God-designed programming that we all bear? I find that to be a fascinating question. And, and honestly, a lot of times these stories kind of creep me out because it creeps into that area where yeah. I have to think about the soul. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be divinely created? And, you know, I, I just, just think it's a fascinating well, question. And it also makes a raises a very interesting question for the robotics manufacturers and engineers today in the real world who are actually sort of shooting for that. They're, right. they're shooting for that self-awareness because a self-aware robot is, hypothetically, a much more effective robot in a variety of ways, you know, like childcare or right, whatever. Right, right. And, um, but I don't think they ever stop to think about the very thing that you just said, when does it cross a line and become something a little bit more problematic because we're trying to inject a robotic creature with a soul? Right, exactly. And, and one of the things that I also ponder when it comes to these sorts of things is the idea of we all know that we were created mm. by a perfect creator. Yep. When you have these sentient beings created by us, imperfect creatures... What does that mean for the creatures that we in turn create? Mm -hmm. Well, and that was really Frankenstein, right? I mean, we can circle back to one of the very first robot slash monster stories, and it begs all of those questions. And I think in terms of as we relate with our kids, there are people and their children who, you know, may not really get deep into these sorts of philosophical questions. But I think... If you have maybe an older teen or a precocious teen that likes to think deeply, these are great conversations to have after movies, right? Mm -hmm. And it may be a little bit further afield than your typical plugged-in kind of application and theology discussion. But I think these kinds of movies 
really do lend themselves if you have those sorts of thoughtful, introspective, philosophical kids to what about the soul? How do we think about these things? Um, And the very questions that you've been asking, Paul, and I think on a more a little bit more concrete level, we have movies like Ron's Gone Wrong and Mitchell's versus the Machines, which offer a more cautionary sort of message with regard to our interaction with technology. What are some of the things that those two movies in particular have to say about our relationship with technology? You know, we live in an age of information, and I think that movies like that, they kind of aim to say, hey, you know, there is such a, just because you have access to all this information and you have access to, whether it be through, you know, a Google search or, you know, Wikipedia or even just social media, at a certain point, you really need to filter out what information you actually need and what information you're just, you know, filling your mind with that you forget, you know, 10 moments later when something new pops up on your screen. Um, I think that there's a lot of scientific studies out there that would defend the fact that, you know, because we're spending so much time on our screens, we're forgetting to do things like go out and run, go out and play, go out and be with human beings as God created us to be. And the technology in a way, just to bring it back to another spiritual point, technology is almost taking us away from those purposes that God created us for. You know, and I also think another issue that these movies are raising, especially the two you just mentioned, is that the companies behind the robots in the movies, the companies behind these rebellious robots who are doing crazy things are manned by humans who are making not necessarily good choices. Mm. And I think both of these movies say this, and that's a very good question to raise in your kids' minds. When they're dealing with whatever tech devices they're dealing with, what are the people behind these devices, these wonder devices, what do they really want? Mm. What what do they want to get from you when you're using it? Yep. One of the things as I think about these movies, going back to what Emily said, is the dependence that we have on these things. You know, the phones, I, I, I feel it in my own life. You know, if I leave my phone behind at my desk, it almost feels as if I have lopped off a hand. You know, because it's become so much a part of our lives that we have to look at our screens all the time. And Mitchell's versus the Machines really deals with that in a humorous way. Oh, it does. Where it has this connection where we are all so dependent and it would be so easy if for some reason our Apple phone gained sentience. (laughs) Who knows what would happen? Yep. Well, I love this conversation that we have had today. and, And hopefully as we have talked about these movies you can see connecting points to your family. Because I think when we have compelling stories, the great thing about an engaging story is it might enable us to get into some of these conversations with our kids, with our spouse, in a way that's hard in a vacuum. You know, if you just come at your kids and say, do you guys think you're spending too much time on your screens? (laughs) You know, children are naturally going to recognize a trap question, right? (laughs) But you might be able to watch the Mitchells versus the machines after you read the complete plugged in review, review. of course. Um, (laughs) And maybe it gives you an entry point into a conversation about our relationship with technology that's different than just mom or dad playing the heavy and saying, we got to be on screens less. 
right? Well, and that's a it's a great point because good drama does that. Yes. Good drama raises questions. Yep. And you walk away with questions and you, that you can think about. And so then you can let the movie ask the questions and you don't have to. Exactly. And I think that is a great place to stick the landing on our conversation about AI movies today. Thanks, guys. Well, in our second segment today, we're going to pivot to another new show generating a ton of buzz. It's called The Wheel of Time, and it's streaming on Amazon Prime. And our very own Emily Clark has reviewed it and is going to tell us everything we need to know. So, Emily, insiders will know that The Wheel of Time has a huge backstory. But for those who are unfamiliar with this franchise, what is it and where did it come from? What do we need to know? Uh, It's a book series that was written by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. It started in 1990. It finished up in 2013. There are 15 books. Basically, it's a fantasy series. You have these uh, witches, is what some characters call them. They're called Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. They're basically women who can use the one power, which is like the force that runs the entire universe, basically. There's a creator, and there's also a version of Satan. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of... There's a lot of references to a lot of different cultures and religions, including Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity. So there's a lot of spiritual elements at play here um, that families will definitely want to read the review about to, you know, kind of figure out what's appropriate for their children. But um, but really, there's going to be a lot of fans out there who are going to say, well, that wasn't in the books. And I'm not even referring to specific characters or events. I'm actually referring to some of the content there's a lot of sexual content in the TV series that surprised me because it was just like, whoa, I that was not what I read. You know what I mean? And then um, the violence, you know, the violence is in the books, but to see it played out on screen, to see some of the monsters come to life, it it is very graphic and very much like I didn't like you expect it, but you also don't expect it. Um, there's a, a little bit of mild profanity Again, that's kind of in the books already, so it's not anything gratuitous. But yeah, those are the things that you're going to be looking out for if you are hoping to watch the series. Okay. Well, a couple of observations about that. It seems like if anybody's interested in it, we've got sort of the philosophical and spiritual worldview concerns because you've got uh, a world that's being created and is drawing from all of these different spiritual strains. But we've also got some real content concerns. And as I hear you talk about the addition of sexual stuff that really isn't in the books, and I confess, I read the first seven and a half of the 15 books. And <laughs> at the seven and a half book point, I decided I didn't care Because you were bored. Because <laughs> they're monstrously huge books. They're like a thousand pages each. But obviously, I'm wondering, and you can comment on this, are we getting the Game of Thrones effect? Like you had this fantasy that sort of reset what fantasy can be. And now we have to take, you know, this is why we can't have nice things, right? We take this the story that didn't have sex and we inject sex into it. Okay. So if you were to take Lord of the Rings, which um, people have compared the Wheel of Time series to Lord of the Rings. If you were to take the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings movies and the Game of Thrones uh, TV series on HBO I would say Wheel of Time lands somewhere in the middle. It is not sex position like Game of Thrones, but it's not innocent like Lord of the Rings. Um, It's definitely more than just a few smooches between Aragorn and Arwen, you know? So I would say it's somewhere in the middle. Um, 
violence wise it's also i think somewhere in the middle it's a little gorier than lord of the rings but not quite as much bloodshed as uh game of thrones but you know it's also early on in the series that could become more graphic as time goes on in both cases yeah and that's that's a really great point that whenever we're talking about a new and buzzworthy tv series we don't know where it's going to go if they don't release it all at once or if we don't have the ability to watch all of the episodes all at one time. Well, we don't know what's going to pop up in season two. Yeah, exactly. And and you used the word sex position, and that was a word that was coined to describe how Game of Thrones used sensual content to move the story along. I mean, it was really central to what was happening, but it was often incredibly gratuitous and as game of thrones yep. went on there was more and more criticism about okay are, are people actually, being exploited in it this actually story? lessened as the series went exactly. on because the different actors and actresses spoke up for themselves and they kind of dialed it back a little but it was still pretty it was still there it was it didn't disappear it just was less graphic well and i think it's important for fans of the books to know that that content is there so that they don't get caught off guard. And especially, I read these books when I was fairly young. I was going to say, you had I young started readers, reading them when I was in middle school. And if I had gone from reading that book in middle school to watching what I've seen so far, I think my parents would be very upset because yeah. it is not the same. The content is not the same. The content is more adult than teenager or tween. So, you know, if you have read the books and you're like, oh, I love that series. It was like Lord of the Rings. It's totally innocent. It is not. It is not the same. Don't come in expecting that or you'll be very upset. <laughs> All right. I think that's a, a great warning for parents who maybe fans or have kids who are fans of this series. And as always, you can come to pluggedin.com and check out our full review on this and everything else that we talk about on the podcast. So thanks, Emily. No problem. Well, now it's time for a part of the show we like to call Culture Culture Countdown. Countdown. And I'm joined again by Bob, Paul, and Emily. I hope that you all have relevant, engaging and yet relatively short stories to share with our audience in the 30 seconds that I am so graciously allotting to each one of you today. Bob, I choose you to go first. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. We often talk about things aimed at the younger set. Today I want to talk to our older listeners. Old people. Something fun's just happened. The group ABBA just released a new album. After 40 years, they just came out with a brand new album. And if you're a fan, there are also going to be live performances. No way. But they're not really live. They are digital performances with their 1979 versions of themselves. Okay, that actually sounds really cool. (laughs) Unfortunately, our time has run out. I can't tell you where, so sorry. But you can come to the episode notes for today's show where you will find a handy-dandy link to find out where Digital ABBA will be performing. That was a daddy of all culture countdown clips. Oh, that was maybe even the grandfather. I was thinking it was a mama, Mia. Of oh. all. You can't be interrupting, though. Oh, dancing it was queen. the dancing That's queen right. of culture countdown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Emily. I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. 
Parents should be pleased to know that TikTok is cracking down on the way that it filters out negative content on its platform. Uh, They've kind of realized that sometimes people use innocuous hashtags to do dangerous challenges. Ah. And so whenever they get a spike in a particular hashtag, they're actually going to go in and check it to make sure it's something wholesome and not something that could either harm the physical or mental health of teenagers. And Wow, that's pretty interesting. That and digital ABBA. Paul, you got stiff competition this week. I mean, yeah. not that it's a contest, but I mean, it if is it, always a contest. If it was, we should we should do we points would call- for this. That oh, would be great. Maybe so. Maybe so. You ready? Three. Sure. Why not? Two, one, go. So, Adam, you and I both saw Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, right? We and it. we liked it pretty well, right? You know who didn't like it? Who? China. Oh, yeah. China did not like it one little bit. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but the the latest reason is that some believe that there was a little touchstone to the Tiananmen Square massacre hidden in the bus scene. There was apparently a bus driver's tag that said 8964, which is a reference potentially to June 4th, 1989. Oh, you almost (laughs) made it. But you did get it in, so we'll say that you made it. That's really interesting, and China obviously didn't like that. But we can't talk about it anymore because your time is up. Yeah, so you'll have to check out the link. Check out the link. All right. Bob, I'm going to hand the timer to you, and you can buzz me in. precious timer. Yes. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one. I don't know if you've noticed, but the last couple years, ads for gambling and online gambling are everywhere. It's going to get worse, folks, because you know who's about to get into the online gambling arena? No. Mickey Mouse. That's right. Disney is once a piece of the action through ESPN, and they're putting together an online gambling thing. And I think that that has huge ramifications for our kids who see these ads all the time. So. But after all, Disney needs more money. Disney needs more money. Well, that was a particularly spirited installment. Indeed. I think Adam won. Culture Countdown. Uh, And again, if you want to learn more about any of those stories, you can come to the episode notes for today's show and go to them and read them to your heart's content. And you can spend more than 30 seconds if you want to learning about them. Thanks, everybody. And thanks again to you who are listening to us this week. We love that you choose to spend some time with The Plugged In Show, and we'd love to know what you thought about our conversation today. Have you seen any of the AI-focused movies that we talked about? Do you have a favorite robot? Uh, Have you seen The Wheel of Time? What did you think? You can let us know on Facebook or Instagram, or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And for everyone listening today, we'd like to say thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family. So today, for a gift of any amount, we'd love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, thanks again for taking some time to join us for this week's conversation. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.